morning, everyone. Could you stand with me? Isn't it beautiful to, you know, when we walked in, you had, there's a certain kind of excitement to see people and to greet people. People are in the lobby, then you're chatting with each other. But when you come in here, it's like the climate changes to, to pureness, to holiness. And I was thinking back to what we talked about last week, which was the essential, the essentialness of having a God-centric belief system, a God-centric personal relationship with God, not me-centric, not reading the word from the aspects of what does this mean for me, what good is this going to do for me, because we know God is good, but to really read his word and to be with him because we know it means something to him that when we commune with him, he receives from that. There's a lot of times where there's pain in our world, and I say things like, what is this doing to your heart today, God? Right? Like We take in things that are happening, and we're like, oh my goodness, this is hurting people. This is hurting people. This is making people ache. People are knowing this. People are knowing that in their lives. But at the same time, because God loves us so much, he is experiencing that as well. And as much as that makes me sad, I'm so grateful because a God that comes near to us in all situations, weeping and mourning and joy and, and excitement, he comes near for all of those things just because of his goodness. Just because of his goodness. So this morning... I just pray that you worship from a place of remembering who he is and that you would reflect his goodness back to him. We talked last week about how the word tells us to lift our hands, for example. And a lot of times we'll teach our children to do that from a place that benefits us. Well, it shows God that I'm this. It shows God that I'm that. How about this morning, our worship looks the way that God intended for it to worship just because he's good. Just because, like, I can't pay him for anything, but I can give him my adoration this morning. I can give that to him, and it matters to him. It's not a throwaway moment. He communes with us in worship, church. So pray with me right now. Father, I often feel like what I have to bring is minuscule, but God, I just see your smile, how you savor this very moment to be with me and to be with each person in this room. And yes, you love when there's a corporate voice that's lifted to you, but oh, how much you love hearing our individual voices, seeing our individual expression to you. And God, I pray that no, no distraction, no technicalities, no anything will distract us from adoring you this morning. I thank you, God, that you gave me a voice. Even though it may struggle at times, I thank you for a voice that has the ability to lift your name. So this morning, we remember the name that is above, above. It's above every other name. And so, Father, with honor, with honor, 
I sing about you this morning and to you just because of who you are. Amen. Yeah. Hey. 
Daddy, all you are is love's reflection. Father, we've come today, Daddy, we came today to bless your name, to make it not about me, but about he, about you, about your glory, about your kingdom, about your grace, about your love, about your mercy that's so undeserved in our life. We lift you up. We praise you. We've come just to give you glory, to say thank you, Jesus, to make it about you. Come in this place and move. Move with your power. Move with your presence, Lord God. Move with your sovereign authority in Jesus' name. Father, where there is sickness, we pray for health right now. When people are suffering uh, with COVID or with depression or with cancer, in the name of Jesus, we are believing for healing in the name of Jesus Christ this morning. Your name is above every name. The name of cancer, depression, addiction, habitual sin, Lord God. Father, unemployment in the name of Jesus. Your name is above it all. There's nothing more powerful than you. We're going to shout it to the heavens. There's nothing more powerful than you. There's nothing more powerful than you, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. Sometimes, sometimes all we can cry out is Jesus, but sometimes that's all we need. You're the rock, my salvation. You are the king of kings and lord of lords. You're the one riding on the white horse who will split the sky one more time. Rise up from your throne and come home and take your children back. Jesus, you are the reigning one. There's not one sickness, not one pandemic, not one political problem, not one moment of poverty, not one thought of depression, not one suicidal moment, Lord God, that can keep you away. Your name is the name above all names. We give you the glory and the honor and the power and the praise. Come on, church, can you come in agreement? If you need a miracle, if you've got a friend, I got friends that need miracles today. You've got people in this house right now that need miracles. You've got people who can't be here because they need miracles right now. I'm, I'm, I'm asking you to join faith with me. Not, not just to add an amen, but actually add your faith to the amen. Because the Bible says we're to touch something in agreement. It shall be done. It is the Father's will. So we're going to stand. We're going to say, Jesus, let health reign. Let wholeness reign. Let holiness reign. Let joy and peace flow in Jesus' name. We give you all authority, all honor, and all place to move. We surrender to you in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. Come on, give God a shout of glory. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, I love that. I love that. I love that brand new song. I love it. I love it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Do you know hallelujah means praise the Lord? Hallel. Praise. Yah. Lord. You know, it's such an easy word that we throw around so much. Oh, just hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. It's so sacred. There's such power in it. Because every time we mention it, the angels rejoice. Every time we say hallelujah to the Lamb, they're saying worthy is the Lamb. There's an echoing chorus when we praise God. We don't just fill this room with praise. When we begin to praise, heaven is praising with us. There's power. I was saying to Dee this morning on the way in, I, I just, I love, I, I, I love being in the house of God. I missed it for so long, this pandemic. There's something, I, I look, I love to worship at home. I, I love to be in the shower, come on, jamming out, right? It's awesome, you can't hear me there, it's glorious. 
But my God, there's something powerful when God's people get together. What a privilege my God gave you to be able to worship this morning. What a privilege he put breath inside of you so that you can give it back to him. Come on, the only thing that is actually yours, the only thing that is actually yours is praise. When you give him your money, it was his first. <laughs> when you give him your time, well, he developed time. The only thing that you got that's actually yours, that you get to freely give him, is praise. Woo, my God is the King of kings and Lord of lords. You know, we're going to pray before we sit, and we're going to pray what is known as the Lord's Prayer. And some of you have come from traditions that that was prayed every week, and some of you came from traditions like me that never prayed it, but it was in the Word. We're not praying it because it's a liturgical moment. I, I, I want us to join in. There, there are people all over the planet this morning praying this prayer. There have been people since yesterday morning when Sydney, Australia woke up, come on, who were praying this prayer. There will be people when the sun goes down, come on, on the, east, on the west coast tonight that will be praying this prayer. When we pray, we join in with a multitude of believers saying, God, this is the church's prayer. So when we pray, let's just pray from the bottom of our hearts. Come on. Let's pray this Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Come on. Come on. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen, amen, amen. His is the glory forever. I don't know about you, but there's just something comforting about that prayer for me. To know that not only do we come in agreement, but countless Christians around the world today are praying that. As it goes up to the Father like incense in front of the Holy of Holies and rests in his nostrils, the prayers of his people. Let your kingdom come and your will be done in Jesus' name. Whew. Well, I'm sure glad you're here today. Thank you for coming and making time today. I want to welcome everybody who's online this morning. Hey, online, thanks for showing up today. We know many of you can't be here. Some of you are away. Some of you are on vacation. Some of you we know uh, are, 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 are still sick. Some are still uh, quarantining. All those things. Look, we are just glad you're here. It's fantastic. Same God in this room. Same God in your room. It's the way that it works. Well, church, look, as, as you're being seated, find someone you didn't come to church with. Just give them like an air high five, an elbow bump, a fist pump. Say hi. This is a family. Introduce yourself. Before we hop into the Word today, I just want to, you know, for us here at Connect, um, if you weren't here last week, um, get a chance to, to, to watch uh, that. It's on all of our social media stuff, but there's just some stuff that we're getting ready to do in church, and one of those things that we talked about that's so important to us is uh, this, next, this generation that we're rising up, because young people are not the next generation, they are this generation. 
And we're serious about raising them up. And uh, we talked about the, the developing the building uh, here in this section uh, of the, the, the building, a brand new youth facility, which is being worked on and middle school and youth being continued to be stepped forward in the next uh, little bit. And one of the things that we want to do, and I, I think we have phenomenal children's pastors here. Kevin and Lisa McKinney are awesome. We love them absolutely to death. But if you're a parent, the Bible actually says in Proverbs 22, it says, train up your child in the way that they should go. And when they get older, they won't depart from it. I don't know about you, but I believe that. Yeah. I believe that. I pray that over my son. I pray that over my son's children because I'm believing that that's the truth of God. We want to help that. And uh, starting next week, our children's, uh, uh, our children's uh, ministry is, uh, has provided a three-day at-home camp for our kids. And so they got all these resources together and all these arts and crafts and, and examples. And they're going to give uh, every parent uh, a box with all the supplies in it. They have video supplies online that you can do it with your kid. And just sit down with your child for a, a, a short time every day or three days in a row next, after next Sunday. And it's just going to be a great time. There's something, by the way, discipleship is not the church's job. We are here to help disciple your kids. Somebody say amen. amen. Yeah. Right? It's just the way that it works. It's just the same way now. Even with, even with all of us, our job is not to make sure you're discipled. Our job is to make sure you have an opportunity to be a disciple. Yeah. So that's what we're going to do. I'm excited. Look, even if you don't have kids, can you just say thank you to Kevin and Lisa when you see them? Just because they are passionate about this generation. They just really are. Well, I'm passionate about you. I'm passionate about this moment I get to share today. Danielle and I don't take these moments lightly by any stretch. And so if you have your Bible, since you have your Bible, can you open with, to, with me to 1 Samuel chapter 18? 1 Samuel is the, the ninth book of the Old Testament. And if you need a, a title for today's message, the title for today's message is Upstage Me. Upstage Me. You know, for some of you may know that my son, Jake, who's over here, who was uh, leading worship today. My son Jake, when he was younger, for a lot of his time when he was younger, uh, was an actor. He worked in the theater. And I don't mean just kind of in middle school and high school productions, but he worked professionally in Walnut Street Theater in Philly, uh, which I think is a phenomenal theater in Philadelphia, and had a great experience there. And, and, and I'm not just bragging on my son, although he's worth bragging about. I love you, kiddo. You're awesome. Um, and he loves when I make a big deal out of him, as you can tell. His face is about the same color as his, uh, his sweater. Um, no, he's so worth bragging on. But they have a term in theater called upstaging. Now, in a good way, to upstage someone is for the actor to move downstage so that another actor can have all of the audience's attention. That's a good thing. But the problem is that the word upstaging more often than not, is used in a negative way. And what it means is that you position yourself in such a way as to take the attention of the audience off the one who is supposed to have the attention. That's what upstaging is. And the issue for us, I think, as we grow as men and women of faith in this world today, is that so often in our life, as we are trying to prove how worthy we are and how mature we are in Jesus, how grown we are, and we try to prove our sense of worth, that we end up upstaging others. And at the core of it, my friends, we actually end up upstaging Jesus. 
See, in our soul's attempt to kind of prove how tight we are with the king, like I'm tight with the king. I just want you to know, me and the king are tight. We actually have to, and we end up robbing, upstaging the attention, the focus that's supposed to be on him, and we end up putting it on ourselves, on how good we are, on what we've done to be so tight with the king. We're going to see it in our text today. In our text today, we're going to see this battle that's inside all of us, because all of us, look, here's the deal. There ain't anybody sitting next to you or across from you who doesn't deal with this, right? Because if you think you don't deal with this, you're proving that you do deal with this. Because the truth is, it's like, I'm so holy, I don't deal with this. Thank you for the fact that you're not, right? This is the way that it works. None of us want to, can we admit, none of us want to do this. It's just, that's the truth. What we're going to see in this text is that uh, David had been anointed by Samuel as king, defeated Goliath, and then he's coming back. Now, now think about this just for a moment. Let me step out of it for just a second. They're coming out of a time when the enemy tried to intimidate them, when the enemy put death at their door and made them be isolated in their tents. Does that sound familiar at all? And they are stepping into a new thing that God's trying to do. They're stepping into a new thing that God is trying to do. And Saul, the king, the old king, he gets jealous and starts to war against what uh, God is doing in order to keep attention on what he had helped God to do before. What God had already done with him. I think how often do we miss Jesus when we try to get the attention off of someone else and onto ourselves. And so often we miss what God is trying to do in this moment in our own lives. Let's look at this together in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 6. It says, As they were coming home, when, J- when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the woman came out, uh, the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. The, the, the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands. David is ten thousands. Look at this. And Saul became very angry. And the saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousand. And to me, they've ascribed thousands. What more, can, what more can he have but my kingdom? And Saul eyed, he gave side eye to David from that day on. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul. And he raved within his house while David was playing the, playing the lyre, as he did day by day. Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. I don't know about you, but you giving him a second shot? Like, you go to work tomorrow, your boss like, throws a spear at you, like, hey, here we go. Take another one, you missed. David, twice. Saul was afraid of David, because the Lord was with him. But he departed from Saul. First, can we just say, can we just be kind of honest and say, we understand why this situation may have rubbed Saul just a little wrong? Yeah. I mean, I understand it. Yeah. I get it. Like, he had been the king. And sure, David came along and killed Goliath, but come on, it was his army, it was his supplies, it was his weapons that ultimately routed the Philistine army. I mean, sure, David deserved a little credit, but this is ridiculous. That's what our soul would say. 
And the truth is, look, here's the truth. The truth is we wish we didn't think like this. We wish we didn't think like this. But if we're honest with ourselves, and I think that's what discipleship is, the willingness to be honest with yourself. If we're honest with ourselves, we do think like this. Why do we think like this? Because it's the natural man inside of you and I. It's the natural self inside of us. Every time our natural man inside of us is challenged with the thought that someone else might get the credit that we believe is ours, or wish, <laughs> or at least wish to be ours, or at least probably shouldn't be theirs, our soul begins the work of upstaging them. That's right, immediately. That's the natural man's response. We all have Saul living in us. And, and, and if you, any of us have the guy, we all know the guy. We all have this guy. We all know this guy. The guy at the party that always has like the more, the better story. Or he had the more painful surgery. Or he has the more fantastic tale. He caught the bigger fish. Does that guy annoy anybody? We are that guy. Your soul is that guy. The moment we see David start to challenge the specialness of our life, the value or worth, this, this thing that makes me feel important, that would gra grab attention and give me some sense of identity, the moment that that begins to be challenged, man, the, the, that guy inside of me begins to say, I have a bigger fish. And matter of fact, his fish wasn't even that big. Did you notice, by the way, what Saul did? Saul picked up the spear. He picked up the weapon of Goliath, the weapon of the enemy. Goliath came at David with a spear. Paul said, I mean, Saul said it may not have worked for him, but it's going to work for me. Because I think the issue is our soul will use what the enemy failed with to upstage the one it failed upon. Our soul will look at what didn't work that the enemy tried to use against somebody that didn't work and use it against them. If you conquered alcoholism, our soul was saying that, man, I know, but he used to have a drinking problem. You get laid off, downsized, man, that person can't even keep a job. You go through a painful divorce, there's that soul inside of us that says, yep, but at least I can keep my marriage together. As if you and I had anything to do with that. And it doesn't even, oh, come on, is it just me? Am I the only person that has these thoughts sometimes? Like it's, it's not, I'm, I'm not proud of this, but these are the discipleship moments. What are we afraid of admitting that we have these things and keep having them rather than actually admitting we have them and destroying them? It doesn't even have to be that obvious. It doesn't even have to be verbalized. It could just be inside our head. Jesus, in Luke chapter 7 he goes to a Pharisee's house for dinner named Simon. And while he's there, a woman comes in who has this, she, she breaks ointment on his feet and begins to cry and wipes his tears uh, with her hair. And the Bible says, in verse 39, the Bible says, Simon says in his heart, says to himself, if Jesus really knew who this woman was, if he was really a prophet, basically, if he was as holy as I am because I know who she is, I see her for what she is. If Jesus was anything like me, he would actually not respond the way he's doing it. See, in that moment, we think he's upstaging the woman. 
He's actually upstaging Jesus. He's upstaging Jesus' mercy, Jesus' grace, Jesus' compassion in that moment. That's what our soul will do. It will diminish what Jesus wants to do in the moment so that it can reinforce what God did in us before as more valuable than this. It's why, if we're honest, in modern Christianity, we are drawn back to our works. Because we highlight what we think makes us special. Whether that be our lifestyle or our prayer life, how much we pray. Or how many miracles we've done. Or how we hear from God. Or how often we've served or how much we give or how nice we've been or how much we love to worship. And then the trick in that is so often we seek after those things because we believe they make us special. And what makes it worse in the church of Jesus Christ today is that we make other people feel less special because they're not as special as we are. And what ends up happening is they chase after, in their minds, in our minds, in the church today, we're like, if I could just be like them rather than like him, Our upstaging actually promotes the wrong things inside the house of God. And we wonder why brokenness and insecurity and comparison and jealousy and people walk out the door because they'll never be able to be as special as the person on the stage. But my friends, everything that makes me special, makes you special, comes from Jesus. There's not one thing inside of you and I that makes us special that has not come from him it amazes me in our world today we trumpet that we walk through the doors of salvation by grace i'm saved by grace through faith alone apart from any work that i've ever done we trumpet that but then we walk right back into a room that give accolades to works and those accolades to works gives our soul all the ammo it needs to upstage people and ultimately To upstage Jesus. Paul says in Galatians 3. Oh you foolish Galatians. Who's bewitched you? What's he mean? He said here's how you've been bewitched. You started out with grace. And now all you do is value your works. You started out valuing what God has done. And now all you do is value what you can do for God. You've missed the mark. The truth is, everything, everything, everything special about you and me comes from Jesus. Everything. All, the Bible says all good and pleasant things, all good and perfect things come from the, above the Father of heavenly lights. What is good inside of me started when he crafted me in his, in, by his own hands inside my mama's belly. When he took his ruach of breath and blew it inside of me. When I actually fell at the foot of his cross and his blood dripped on my head. When Jesus breathed his spirit into my life. When I was resurrected with him in Christ. Everything inside of me that is good did not originate in me. Come from me. It is not a part. It is not because of me. It is only the work of Jesus Christ. That's it. When do I get to stand up and say, yeah, but I helped. Come on, I love the Roman centurion 
who comes to Jesus, and Jesus, they're all like, everyone's like, excuse me, you should go heal his sick servant. Look at all the good things he did. And the centurion comes to Jesus and says, no, 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 I'm not even worthy to have you in my house. I don't need anything. You speak the word, Jesus. Man, I'm not even worthy. There's nothing I've done that deserves you to come to me. I'll just receive your grace today. Jesus said, I've never seen faith like this on the planet before. The Bible says it amazed Jesus. There are 100 billion stars in 100 billion universes, and that does not say it amazed God. The one thing that said that amazed God was someone who said, I don't even need it. It's not about me. It's about you. The reality, my friends, is our soul, and I think if we get this, this will help us today. If we get this thing, our soul wants God to make public what he finds special about us in private. Our soul, desperately, the truth is God does find you special. But inside of us, we want everyone else to know how special we, that God thinks we are. And when we don't think that God is doing it in time or public enough, we, like Saul, want to help him out. And we, like Saul, come on, somebody, we'll try to eliminate. This is going to bother somebody, including myself, and I'm going to trip. We will try to eliminate anything and anyone that we believe will diminish our sense of being special. That's what's going on here. And this text is what's going on here. There are two men in that throne room. There are two men in the throne room of our life, all of us. There's the old Saul. The old Saul who came out of the will of man. Do you remember? Saul didn't become king because it was God's idea. Saul became king because man wanted it. So what, what Saul is fighting for, oh, by the way, do you know how Saul becomes king? He, there are three donkeys, there are three jackasses that are, that are lost, and he follows the three jackasses. That's a whole nother sermon. You might be following the wrong donkey. But Saul, in this moment, is fighting to protect what he believes he helped God establish. This is the trap of modern-day evangelicalism. And we're an evangelical church. We're a Pentecostal church. We believe in all of those things. But here's the trap in it. We, we believe because we received it, we play some part in getting the credit for it. Yeah. Through this movement, through our lives, as I grew up, all I heard was, man, I, I found Jesus. I found Jesus. No, we didn't. Jesus wasn't the lost one in this paradigm. We were lost. He found us. Yeah, that's right. We didn't have anything to do with that. In fact, 1 Corinthians 12, 3 says, we couldn't even say Jesus is Lord if it doesn't come from the Spirit first. Right. What credit are we due? Yeah. That old man is in the throne room of our hearts saying, I helped God along the way. I deserve some credit. And then there's the new man. The one anointed by God, the one after God's own heart. David, the picture of Jesus in this story. He, Jesus is in the line of David. He, oh, he was the one, the father anointed, who was unseen until he was seen. David was unseen before he was seen. 
He was the shepherd long before he became the head shepherd. Then there's this new man named Jesus. But Saul was waging war against what God was doing because he was worried that it would upstage all he had done. Here's the truth. The truth is for you and I, it might be easy to see how we could be jealous of our Davids. I get jealous of our Davids. That's why sometimes I can't go to pastor's conferences. I get jealous of Davids. Oh, so, sometimes you have stopped calling friends back because you, you're jealous of your David. Oh, come on. There, 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 there are some relationships you're not in anymore, not because they've done you wrong, but because they've done too right. You're jealous of your David. It's okay. It's easy for us to admit that we somehow are jealous of them and might try to upstage them. But my friends, here's the reality. At the core, our soul is not simply upstaging others. Our soul is about upstaging Jesus. Your soul wants to upstage Jesus. It was Jesus that was, that was moving in and for and through David on that day. It was God's will. It was the Father's plan that he was coming against. See, when we actually upstage others, what we're actually doing is upstaging Jesus. Because Jesus says in Matthew 25, 40, what you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. When Jesus did a miracle and he healed people, do you know what he did? He told them not to say anything. Don't tell them who did it. Why? Because he didn't want to upstage the moment. When Jesus turns water to wine, he doesn't take any of the credit. Matter of fact, he lets someone else, the groom, take the credit. Why? Because he didn't want to upstage. When he raises Lazarus from the dead, which is a pretty big miracle, people, the Bible says, people come from all over to hear Lazarus give his testimony. And Jesus never once said, excuse me, I'm the one who raised, he, he just laid there. I'm the one who did the work. Why? Because he didn't need to upstage the miracle. Our worship, my friends, needs to be God-centric and not me-centric. Our prayer life needs to be he and not me. Our sense of worth needs to come from how do I make him feel more loved, not me seem more valuable. This is the core of discipleship. This is what God is moving his people to in this generation, in this time. Not just a good life, but a holy one. Discipleship is about our hearts cry being, Jesus, upstage me. Jesus, upstage me. Jesus, upstage me. In everything, upstage me. Saul tried to pin David to the wall. Our soul is willing to have a dead Savior hanging in its throne room, but not a living king. Our soul today is all right with having a dead Savior hanging in the throne room of our hearts, just not a living king. That's what this good life gospel that we've been struggling with over so long is actually saying we're willing to have all the benefits of having a dead Savior hanging in our throne room. Oh, by the way, because we helped him get there, we pinned him to the wall. 
But we don't want a living king. No sovereignty required. No lordship required here. Give me your authority, but I don't need your sovereignty. That's what's being sold. It's what's being swallowed. It's what's being digested. It's because it's what's being uh, reinforced at every turn in our world. You are the king of you. Just do you, boo-boo. But discipleship is about bowing the knee. Jesus is looking for disciples, men and women, including myself, who will just bow the knee and say, Jesus, upstage me, upstage me, upstage me. I want to upstage you. i got to be honest. My soul wants to take credit or at least some credit. I don't even want to get, I, I, I need the credit, but God, upstage me. John the Baptist and John 30, may this be the cry of the modern church. I may decrease, you may increase. Jesus, less of me and more of you. Jesus said of this man, there's never been one born on this planet of woman greater than him. Paul cries out, this great apostle who does miracle after miracle, and he turns and says, I've been crucified with Jesus, and it's not me that lives any longer. It is all about him. The life I live, I live because of faith I have in the work of the cross of Jesus Christ. David, when he's leaving here, heartbroken in Psalm 34, he's leaving this throne room heartbroken, and he cries out. This is his cry of his heart. Magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. That word magnify in the Hebrew means to become so low that someone else can be seen as so high. The heart of that broken man in the midst of it was to say, man, I'm going to get so low because I don't want to upstage anything God's doing in this. I only want people to see who God is. The truth is, my friends, this positioning of Jesus by being the only one the audience sees allows us to think of others without competition. To think of others without the need for self-promotion. To think of others because it gives no room for pride. I failed in this this week. I struggle with pride sometimes. Probably more often than I like. Because I'm insecure. And I haven't totally found all of my security in Jesus yet. I'm a work in progress. Can someone say amen? amen. I'm in good company, I think. Yeah. I was showing some people through our building this week. They were blown away by it. They were like, this is amazing. And I began to explain to them. They were like, how's church doing? And I began to explain to them how we had three campuses before the pandemic. And I went on and on and on and talked about all that crap. I got in the car. I'm like, I'm a freaking idiot. Because here's the truth. Either this pandemic and purging time has done, worked out God's purposes in my life and in our church and brought purity here. And I'm standing in the middle of his good. Or I have to believe the praise of my past is more important to me than the purity of my present. That's the only thing I can do. 
That's the only choice I got. Why did I say what I said? Because the praise of my past was more important to me in this moment. They were just impressed. People came back to church, and I wanted them to be impressed with how many we had before people came back. I was upstaging Jesus. There wasn't a lie in it, but it didn't need to be a lie. I didn't have to break a Ten Commandment. Do you know what I did? I put myself, I upstaged the king. Instead of giving God the glory for every one of you, for every choice of a person who said yes to Jesus. It's not about me, and it's not about church. It's about him. I was saying to Dee just the other day, do you realize that in the Bible, it's never recorded who owns the upper room? Does that blow you away? Yeah. That blew me away. Why? Some of the most important, transformational, historic moments in all of history happened in that upper room. The Last Supper, the last time Jesus was with his feet, the institution of communion, he's bathing in people's feet, he's loving his tummy, he's going to die, all this stuff. Pentecost. The downpouring of the Holy Spirit, the birth of the church, signs, wonders, and miracles happened in this room. And no one knows whose room it was. I need to tell you, if it was my room, I think I would have somehow got my name in the Bible. I would have just slipped it in, you know, humble brag. Come on, how many of us humble brag our way into upstaging Jesus? Hey, can you just let Pastor know I prayed for somebody? Why is the I in there at all? Because I want to feel special. Because I, like Saul, want to remind everybody that I helped God establish that miracle. The amazing thing for me about David, which is the amazing thing about Jesus, is that even while the spears are being hefted and launched, he just keeps on ministering. He ministers and ministers and ministers and ministers. Why? Because that's the heartbeat of God towards us. He still wants to soothe that spirit that distorts us, whether it be jealousy or insecurity or comparison or shame, but he will never be able to soothe what's distorting our view while we're still throwing the spears, upstaging the king. Forge this week, we're ending 1 Peter 5. And in 1 Peter 5, Peter says, Look, you've got to clothe yourself with humility. By the way, it's not a suggestion, it's a command. Do you know why it's a command to actually put on humility? Because it's something that's not natural that we do. Do you realize the Bible never tells you, it never commands you to breathe? The Bible never commands you to pee. Do you know why? They're natural. The Bible only has to command us to do things that aren't natural to you and I. He says, look, the end times are coming. Persecution is happening all around. This is the context. Man, the enemy is on the prowl. He is roaming around like a roaring lion looking for people, churches, Christians, children, come on, teenagers, families, marriages to devour. He says, in order to do that, you've got to stand strong. How? By clothing yourself in humility. 
That means less of me, more of him. Less of me, more of him. When I read that about clothing yourself, I was reminded of what happens in Genesis chapter 3. Do you remember after Adam and Eve fall, one of the first things God does is he clothes Adam and Eve in skin from an animal that he had to kill. I wonder how much it humbled Adam every time he had to put on that skin every morning to realize what God had to do to his creation so that he could be covered once again. If we would remember what my God had to do to cover this creation because of what I've done, humility becomes a whole lot easier. My friends, it must have broken David's heart because all he wanted to do was bless Saul, to heal him up, to see him whole. It's got to bless, it's got to break Jesus' heart when we choose who gets the credit more than elevating what he did on the cross. Get out of the way. It ain't about you and I. It never has been, it never will be. But we can do so much damage by standing in the way. There's this incredible moment at the end of this story. 2 Samuel chapter 23. David is forced to leave this throne room and become isolated in a cave with some men. And while he's there, talks about the well of water from Bethlehem, his home. Three of the mighty warriors rise up. They fight through all the battle lines. They fight through the army to get to the most heavily guarded spot in, a and in an enemy camp, the well. They get a cup of water. They fight their way back through. They come up to the king and they give him the water. Here we go. You know what David does with it? He just pours it out and he walks away. They don't complain. They don't go, wait! Don't you know what I did to give you that gift? They simply said, what will make my king's heart beat? A cup of water. I don't care what I have to do or who I have to be to bring him that cup. When I bring it to him, it's his, and it's not no longer mine. And if he wants to drink it, share it, or pour it out, it's okay. Because Jesus, the moment I give it to you, is the moment that it is no longer mine. My heart's cry in the middle of everything to feel special is God upstage me every time. Get me out of the way. May it not be about me. But may this whole walk of life be about you. Upstage me.
upstage me. Upstage me. This is where the disciple needs to live in this 21st century. This is the only safe place. This is the only thing that will change our nation and our world. Is when people can believe that you don't have to help them become established in his kingdom. That the king is able to do it all himself. It's not about me. What freedom our world will find. If the thing that is keeping them from seeing the king gets out of the way. And maybe, just maybe, we'll be surprised that it's really not CNN or Fox or the Democrats or the Republicans. Maybe it's really not this generation's ideology and the force of sin in this world, maybe, just maybe, what's been keeping our friends and family and co-workers from seeing Jesus is that we've upstaged them. And they, have, they believe they have to become like us so that they can get to him. Rather than coming to him just the way they are. I'm just going to pray. I feel the spirit of God in this room. The spirit to bring change and transformation and wholeness and healing. But it's got to start with honesty inside of ourselves and this willingness to say, God, that's me. And I'm not afraid to admit it. I just want to quit it. Because a good life without God's power, a good life without God's presence, a good life without God's purpose mounts to nothing. My friends, here I am today. And if you can find yourself in any of the story that I talked about today. This is the time to repent. This is the time just to say, Jesus, here I am, man, I'm so sorry. Break every, I'm giving you permission. I'm standing here saying, God, break everything inside of me that causes me to want to upstage you. Every time, Lord God, that that desire rises, I pray that your spirit quashes it in the name of Jesus. Come on, this can't just be my prayer. It's got to be our prayer. It's, if that's you today, just start to begin to say, God, caution inside of me. Jesus, here I am. I'm giving you my life again. Jesus, here I am. I'm asking you not just to be Savior, but to be Lord. I'm giving you the right to do anything and everything to shatter those things inside of me. I know that I'm special because you've called me. You blessed me. You chose me. You made me the head and not the tail. You breathed your resurrection. 
resurrection spirit inside of me. You redeemed me from the pit of hell. You ransomed me and paid a price I couldn't pay. I know I'm special because of what you did on the cross for me. And I love you for it. Let that be enough, God. Let that be enough, God. Let that be enough, God. Holy Spirit, hear the cry of your people's hearts today. Forgive us in our brokenness. Heal us of our insecurities. Shatter our need for pride and worth outside of you. Holy Spirit, come and do what only you can do and fill fill us up to overflowing. And as we started this service with today, this is our prayer. Let your kingdom come. Come on, church. Can you just say this with me? Jesus, Jesus. let your kingdom come. Let your your will be done done. in my life, life. on this earth, earth. in this church, church. as it is in heaven. In In Jesus' name, name. Amen amen and amen and amen and amen and amen and amen and amen. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up for one more moment. Because we're going to sing. No, no, we're not. No. We're going to worship through that song we started with today. Hallelujah. (laughs) You're worthy of praise. Hallelujah. You're worthy of praise. Maybe as we sing this song this time, it'll speak something different in our hearts. Come on, can you stand with me? Maybe this time, maybe this time, it'll speak something different in our hearts.
Church, only He is worthy of glory. Only He is worthy of praise. If not for Him, where would we be? If not for Him, who would we be? Everything special about you <laughs> came from Him. But you are wonderfully and beautifully made. You are the marvel of heaven. And He loves you so much. And so do we. Look, if you are here today and you are unsure about where you stand with Jesus or how to move forward with that, I'm going to ask you to do two things. First, if you've never actually asked Jesus into your life, if you've never said yes to actually not just heaven, but actually said yes to the King of heaven, this is Pastor Rick right over here, Rick and Kathy. Rick would love to talk to you afterwards. Just spend a few moments with you. He won't take long, but this is the most important decision you'll ever make is to say yes to Jesus. We've got books over there that we'll give away freely, one for teenagers, one for you as adults. It just helped you explain this walk. But maybe you've already done that. Today, something deep hit you and said, man, Kyle, I'm so glad you, I'm really mad that you preached that word, but I'm really glad you preached that word. Can I encourage you right after today? Go home. Before you leave this place, go on your phone and sign up for Forged, which is our men's discipleship group, or Shoulder to Shoulder, which is our women's discipleship group. They're all online. It's all Zoom. But you know what? You need, we need, this thing is not easy. I need someone to stand by me and kick me in the butt and be like, dude, you're upstaging Jesus. Freaking knock it off. I need that. And I've been doing this a long time. This thing called Walk With Jesus, I've been doing it a really long time. I know if I need it, we probably all need it. One last thing I'm gonna ask you to do. This is your home. Connect is where you say, this is my people, my tribe. I'm gonna ask you before you walk out the door today to give offering. We just said, we give it all to you, God. It can't stop with just our hands in the air. Sometimes it's got to be our hands in our wallets. Because we've got a lot of work to do. And I think sometimes we can be blinded by all the things that we're, get, we're doing and the building that we're doing and all the stuff that we've got in these nice seats and all the stuff. But my friends, my king has more work to do. And it's not about... The sacrifices of the few, it's about the worship of the many. You can give a lot of different ways. You can give on your phone. All those, the slides will be up there. You can give with those great uh, envelopes that are right there. You can put them in the gold kiosk on the way out. That way it's all, you know, no one's passing buckets. But I want to thank you, Danielle, and I want to thank you in advance for giving, for keep giving, for standing shoulder to shoulder, not just in worship and in preaching and in praise but actually in provision of this house because we can't do it alone. We need each other. Let me pray over you and we're going to go. My King, my Lord, my Savior, Jesus, 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 holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. 
May the Lord God Almighty, may his face shine upon you. May his righteous sun rise upon you each and every day. May the sun of righteousness rise upon you with healing in his wings. May his name be a rock and a refuge this week in the midst of the battles of your life. When the enemy rises up like a roaring lion, may the mighty warrior who's dressed for battle come to the front lines for your behalf. May his spirit fill you to overflowing with joy and love and peace, patience and kindness and goodness and self-control, faithfulness to the end. May his gifts pour forth from you and out of you and into the world around you. And may you, and may I, and may we bow down on bended knee. And may our hearts cry this week be, Jesus, upstage me. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. God bless you, church. I love you. Transform this world. One life at a time. We'll see you next week.